With the McDonald's app, you can get your favorite thing delivered to your door. So if you were looking for a reason to skip washing those dishes you left in the sink, consider this a sign. Right now, get $0 delivery fee with any purchase of $15 or more, only in the app. At participating McDonald's, minimum purchase excludes tax and service fees. Delivery prices may be higher than in restaurants. Other fees may apply, not valid with any other offer, discount, or coupon. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Absolute sports betting degeneracy. Hey everybody, Arch here, and I've got a very special guest with me today. Uh, we've got Rich from Guaranteed Tip Sheets to teach us all a little bit about horse racing or horse racing today. Rich, thanks so much, man. Hey, no problem. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, Rich, let's just kind of start from the top and work our way down. Let's assume that I'm a total doofus when it comes to the horse track, which really isn't that far from the truth. So, I get there, I grab programs, I look at I look at information. The first things I see are like top three horses, speed horses, class horses, pace horses listed. I just, just as a complete moron, should I focus my attention on any of those? I mean, does pace make race? Pace can make the race. Um, it really depends on the kind of race you're looking at. For okay. me personally, with uh, my years of experience, what I found uh, to like is I look for the trend more so than the top line number to see which way a horse is trending. Obviously, you want them working in, uh, you know, towards their best performance. So I like to see the numbers, you know, heading in that direction more so than, you know, one horse has a 95 speed rating and the other horse has a 90. I'm also particularly leery of a horse that makes a big jump. So let's say you, you see a series of 80, 82, 84. So, you know, consistently in the mid to low 80s, then all of a sudden he pops a number around 100. I found more often than not that that's really a sign of a horse that's exceeded beyond his uh, abilities is likely to bounce the next time around. So those horses really scare the hell out of me. So as, as far as those speed numbers are concerned, uh, when I look at them, the highest last race speed figure is sort of like being the favorite. It has about a 30% win rate. Uh, at least that's what studies have shown. You know, it fluctuates, of course. Um, but that means 70% of the time that horse doesn't win. So if you have a 30% chance to win or a 70% chance to win, obviously with a head towards the uh, 70%. But from a betting perspective, if they're trending in the right direction, at least points to a horse that could be rounding into form. So that that's how I would use those. So as far as performance goes, is it more of a like a gentle curve? Is it is it a it's but it's not it's not a sharp up. It it's it it should progress. I guess yeah, like on a gentle curve. <laughs> 
Yeah, and consistently. So you see like a move from 82 to 84 and then maybe 84 to 87. So you see some incremental improvement. But as long as they're trending up, you know the horse is getting in form. And this horse is much like uh, human athletes, I think, I found uh, they, they, they tend to cycle into shape. Some folks can throw out a couple of candy bars out of their diet. They'll slim up pretty fast. Other folks have to grind it out, you know, to lose a pound. So I don't think horses are much different in that respect. Some horses, you know, they come off the bench, hit the track, and, you know, perform like they didn't miss a beat. Other horses will need a race or two. And, you know, you want to identify that through a couple different things, one of which can be their pace numbers or their speed figures, those sorts of things. As long as they're turning in the right direction, you know, I'm not afraid to look at that horse. Well, speaking of getting in shape, I mean, do trainers in their past track records, do those does that really matter? Well, I like to look for uh, particular cycles with horses in the past performance uh, when you look across their lines. Sometimes you'll see a horse that, for whatever reason, runs a really bad race the first time out of the, out of the barn. And then you look at the past performances and you see in their second race there was a massive improvement. So you can expect that horse uh, needs a tune-up, and then once he gets that tune-up under his belt, he's going to come out and have a better race the second time around. And part of the trainer is to understand the cycle of that horse, that particular horse, and get that horse prepared to, you know, to win a race somewhere um, in its cycle of races before it takes another break. So that's really, you know, it varies from horse to horse. But you wouldn't look at the trainers, like just, just their, their win-loss, the trainers' uh, overall winnings, and use that as like any kind of metric for how the horses they have now would perform. Some trainers, like Chad Brown, you know, that guy's an Uber trainer, so wherever yeah. he goes, his horses tend to win. Bob Baffert, the, you know, the white hair guy everybody's familiar with from the <laughs> Kentucky Derby. Yeah. I mean, these guys, they, they get the best of the best horses wise. So um, that's why their horses do so well. But as far as trainers are concerned, I think a lot of them are niche in what they do. For example, you know, and, and if you didn't track this in an you know, Excel sheet or you weren't a local, you might not know this. But out in like the New York circuit, Christopher Clement in the um, in those inner turf races, for whatever reason, seems to perform very well, more you know better than he does in the regular turf races or in the dirt races. So some trainers have specialties, and if you know who those trainers are and where their specialties lie, you can get a good price on one of their horses, uh, particularly on the right surface and right track type. So I do like to look at a trainer at the particular track for some of the smaller tracks. And uh, even at you know some of the bigger tracks, if they have a niche at that track, otherwise you know the big names like Chad Brown, like I mentioned, and Bob Baffert, you can play those guys pretty much anywhere. Oh wow, okay. What about the actual? Yeah, each track yeah, kind of no. has a you yeah. know has a trainer who's like dominates that track, and you can find those track statistics you know in in the programs. And you know anytime they have a horse in play and its odds are pretty fair, you do want to take a look at it. Okay. Okay. What about what about the actual jockeys themselves, the ones running the race? Do, do they matter? Do they have much input on the outcome of the race? Well, jockeys do matter, but you know, I, I think back to something I heard one time from an old time horse player who said he's seen many horses carry a jockey across the finish line, but he's never seen a jockey carry the horse <laughs> over the finish line. And if you visualize that, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I think I think jockeys are really more, you know. They're, they're there not to screw things up, I, I think, in a lot of cases. They want to make sure they get the horse positioned in the right place so that the horse can run in style. I've seen many jockeys on the best horse get caught up in traffic, the bad trip, 
and you can see it as they're coming around. They're trying to weave, weave in and out of traffic. They get blocked by another horse. And you say, man, that was a bad ride. So as far as jockeys are concerned, they are important because the best jockeys, and this is how I look at it, uh, their agents make sure they get the best rides. That's why they continue to win, so they get the best horses. They get the ride on the, uh, you know, on the top choices at those tracks. And as a result, they're going to be on the better horses. So in a sense, the jockeys have handicapped the field themselves, or at least their agents have, and get the best jockeys on the best horses. But I really look at it more as a tiebreaker. If I like two horses the same or three, then I'll look at the jockeys to see which jockey I think um, you know, has made his bet on the horse. And then in, in that case, choose the horse with the better jockey of my two or three picks. I got you. I got you. Cause and effect here. We got to have the good jockeys get the good horses. Okay. I got you. Of course. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. that's just, that's how it goes. Right. Yeah, right. Right. So it's like in football, you know, the, the, the coaches with good quarterbacks are always good coaches, good coaches. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Should we talk about Nagy now in Chicago or, or no, we should just leave that one alone. <laughs> I'm a Cowboys fan. So my guy just okay. got fired. Okay. Okay. So they brought in Mike McCarthy who nobody seems to like. Oh boy. That's going to be an interesting one. What about distances? Uh, you know, should I be, you know, mindful of what the horses ran prior and what they're running now and how they do at different distances or, you know, what's the, what's a good idea to look at that? Yeah. For distances, I do like to see how well a horse has performed at a particular distance. Um, for some reason, some horses are sprinters, just like humans. Like I, you know, me as an athlete growing up, I could run fast from, from point A to point B, as long as it wasn't more than a hundred yards or 110 yards or so. Once I got over 110 yards, I felt like I was running on Jupiter, you know, heavy as hell and couldn't move anymore. So I, I find that a lot of horses are like that as well, except for your premier horses that can kind of run at any level or any length. Um, so particularly I like to look at the shorter races, the faster horses, obviously, the horses that can get to the lead. You know, somebody has to pass them for the lose and for them to lose. The shorter the race, um, the you know, the faster the horse I want it to be. As far as distance, I do like to see a horse that's run a long distance before, uh, if it's going to run at a mile or more. Uh, if not, I would like to see that that horse has, in shorter races, made up ground late in, uh, in in its shorter races. But one of the factors I do look at is, you know, it has a horse run at this distance before and how well is it run? Because you'll find a horse that runs at a mile and wins. Run him at a mile and a 16th, you know, that mile, that the 16th extra, six, extra 16th, you wouldn't think it matters. And they end up sixth every time. Run him at seven furlongs, one less furlong than a mile, and he can't win either. So horses like people do have, I, I do believe, have a preferred distance to run. And uh, I do pay attention to that. Okay. So what about rest? Uh, how much should I, I pay attention to how long the horse is rest, rested? Is more rest necessarily good? I mean, there's got to be a point where they start to get rusty, right? Well, that's really the trainer's job to make sure it comes back to the track sharp and ready to go. And a lot of times you can get a hint by looking at the workouts. They're listed below the past performances. Um, and you can, it, for me, really what I like to look at is previous first races at coming off the sidelines. The horse had a short break in one. Has it had a long break and come back in one? Uh, so if it does have a history of coming off the you know, out of the barn after some rest and winning regardless of time, I'm not afraid to uh, you know to look at that horse. If they have a history of coming off and bombing, need a race or two, then I'm going to shy away no matter how much class that horse has relative to the rest of the field. So you really have to kind of look at the horse itself to see how they've performed under similar circumstances before. 
Uh, and each horse, again, is different, and it's really up to the trainer to understand the uh, the cycle that that horse needs to lay, uh, to, to go through mm-hmm. in order to in order to perform its best coming off the bench. Oh, I got gotcha. you. Okay, okay. So let's let's say I'm isolating some horses. I, I want to go run you through this. This is a particular mental block of mine. It, it was right? it was way bad before, but you know I approach things with kind of a more of a sports better viewpoint. You know I know that when uh-huh. I I decide I'm going to take the Lakers minus eleven and a half against the Suns, I know exactly what I'm risking. I know exactly what my payout is going to be. So I have a hard time sometimes getting my head around the pair mutual betting. You, do you have any advice uh-huh. for somebody like me? Like it's just it's such a such a, a, a an agonizing decision, not knowing exactly what I'm gonna, what I'm going to get paid. Sure. So on win bets, you, you you pretty much know what you're going to get paid on win bets based upon the odds. So, for example, whatever the odds are to win, if it's, say, 8 to 1, you're going to get 8 times your $2, so 16, um, because the typical bet payout is based on $2, plus your $2 bet back. So an $8 horse, $16 for the 8 to 1 odds, plus your $2 back. Um, but as far as, like, exactas and trifectas and, and those type, those type of things, the exactas will be spelled out on on, on, a, on a lot of online betting tools or online betting sites. So it'll show you if you bet the one horse with the two in an exacta where the you have to have the winner and the second place horse in the same race, it'll show you exactly what that payout is. But as far as paramutual betting is concerned, it's like poker. And it's that you're betting against everybody else at the track and on the internet and around the globe that's bet on that particular race. So the track takes its cut and pays its taxes, and then everything else that's left is split amongst the winning tickets. So just to keep things simple, 10 people bet a trifecta. There's $1,000 in the pool, and one person wins that bet. That person's going to win $1,000. You, can, you can't really determine how much you're going to win, but just know that the higher the odds are on your horses, the higher the payout is likely to be with your exotic bets beyond exactas and doubles, which they will show you online when you're making your bets, what the potential payouts are. And of course you can figure out your win bets, um, you know, using that little simple math that uh, you learn in second grade, um, you know, and what kind of bets you make really, I think depends upon, you know, your personality style. If you're patient uh, and you just want to kind of grind it out, Go ahead and make a series of win bets or Dutch win bets where you put multiple horses in. And uh, from there, you can um, make a profit as long as one of your three horses wins. And we do have a free Dutch calculator on guaranteetipsheet.com that you can use. So you can go to the website, download that, and it'll help you make your Dutch win bets and tells you exactly how much to put on each horse, depending upon what your budget is. Um, and if you're a little bit more impatient like me, you want the big score. You know, I like to put, um, you know, minimum bets down on things like trifectas or pick threes where you have to have the winner in three consecutive races or pick fours, four consecutive races. Trifectas when you have the first, second, and third place horse. So you can put down a little bit of money, and if you get it right, you get a much bigger payout um, for your uh, for your investment, so to speak. So the more patient you are, the more you know, return on investment focused I would be with win bets, Dutch winning, that sort of thing, exactas. The more impatient you are, and the more I would you know, recommend things like exotics, where you have pick threes, pick fours, trifectas, superfectas, and the like, where you risk a little bit of money with the potential to get a big bang for your buck. When I experimented with dutching at the track myself, I found that I was uh, I was making the margins too razor thin. 
my Dutch bets. I was mm-hmm. I was still slightly losing money because I you know the, because of the pair mutual because it, it it didn't it, the payout wasn't exactly to the penny that I thought it might be. So I I needed sure. to learn to loosen that up a bit you know and just <laughs> not not bet so many well, damn horses. Things, yeah, one of the things I like to do in Dutching is have a set of rules where the absolute minimum or the absolute yeah the absolute minimum that I'd be willing to accept an odds on one of my two or three or four horses whatever you pick is and, and this is only under an extraordinary case where I think the horse is you know probably 70% chance to win is 2 to 1 anything that's less than 2 to 1 odds I won't put it in a, in, in a Dutch win bet and if I feel like that you know that 6 to 5 is going to beat me then I'll just skip that race because you know you don't have to have action on every race but I really like to look where my horses are three to one, four to one or more and put those in the Dutch because if you get it right, then you're going to turn a profit and you're going to have a positive ROI. You know, if you can avoid those low priced horses and hit winners, that's where you're going to turn, you know, a a positive return of investment on your money. Okay. Are there bets we should, you think, maybe avoid like uh, win place show or, or just basically show in place? Should we avoid those altogether? Yeah, I really don't like to, you know, I, I have friends who do like the, the, the show pool where they bet on a horse finishing third and they can, you know, they roll the pot and, but eventually you're going to run into one that you miss and you lose everything. So I really, again, I think that that goes back to your personality. You know, if you're going to make win bets, even if you're winning and you're, you're betting $10 and you're getting 15 back in profit. So you got $25 and you don't see that 15 as a, is anything other than a win. It doesn't motivate you. You're going to come off that type of betting anyway and go to what you like. So I really think that's a personality issue. As far as managing your money, which it sounds kind of like you're asking me um, a little bit, a little bit, in a direct way, is what I've always done personally is I'll go through a card and I'll determine what bets I want to make based upon the horses that I that I like. So if I find a couple of horses I think I got a shot of hitting a trifecta in this race, I pretty good idea – what I think an exact is going to come in. I think I can pick one horse or maybe two in the course of a daily double or pick three or pick four ticket, um, you know, in one or two of those races. Then I'll lay out in advance. These are the bets I want to make. This how this is how much it's going to cost. And I'll budget that amount of money. And I'll place all of my bets at the beginning of the day for all the races. And that way, um, as the day goes on, you know, I'm not motivated to reach into my pocket. If I miss one, I'm not over betting a particular, particular race. Because, mm-hmm. as you know, being a sports betting degenerate, that <laughs> a lot of people like to chase in this, you know, when oh, it yeah. comes to betting. Oh, yeah. And chasing is probably the number one thing that would kill you. You know, mm-hmm. I can't lose again. So I bet one, you know, I bet 10 bucks, I lost. I bet 20 bucks, I lost. I bet 40 bucks, I lost. Well, now, if I bet 70, I'm going to get ahead. Well, now you just bet 70 and you're down a buck 40 and there goes your bankroll. Right. And of course, the very next one is the one that hits. Oh, right? yeah. Oh, yeah. Life is just going to kick you in the balls like that all the time, Rich. <laughs> Always. Yeah. So what I like to do is I like to just lay out my bets for the day when I bet, go ahead and put them all in, and then just watch the races unfold. If I hit... You know, that's going to be money back in my pocket. So I'm guaranteed not to lose everything. You know, as great as a handicapper I, as I believe I am, you know, there are days where you're just not right, right? For whatever reason. Oh, Other yeah. days you can't get anything wrong. Right. But by doing that, you know, throughout the course of the day, you're going to hit some of, the, some of your bets. And your hope is that, you know, one or two of them covers the cost of what you laid out for the day and everything there afterwards is gravy. 
Excellent. Excellent. So you, you mentioned when you're, you're betting horses. So how do you personally bet the horses? Let's say, let's say that, you, you know, you pulled your numbers from guaranteed tip sheets and you got, you got all the horses you like. Do you focus your attention on one track? Are you laying out, are you laying out money on all the races across you know, North America or the world on a particular day? Or how, how do you play that? Uh, typically when I do wager, you know, I'm kind of busy working most days every day. So I really don't have a lot of time to wager. But when I do bet, one of the things that comes back to an earlier question you asked me about paramutuals. To me, one of the things I want to focus on, the folks at the small tracks won't like to hear this, but I like to focus on poolside. The bigger tracks like Santa Anita or the California tracks, the New York tracks like Aqueduct, Belmont, Churchill Downs, um, those larger tracks generate more or they attract more interest from bettors. So they have larger wagering pools. More money is being gambled at those tracks. And the bigger the wager pool is, the better off you're going to be should you hit. i give you a case in point. Uh, one holiday, uh, I was like, you know, in between Christmas and uh, New Year's, uh, when I used to work downtown, a friend of mine and I went over to the OTB for lunch, laid out a few bucks, and I did a pick four. So I picked the, you know, the winners in four consecutive races. Well, I had picked the first, second, and third place, um, the first, second, and third races correctly. And I had like a 25 to one shot, 10 to one shot, and like a 12 to one. All pretty high odd horses. When they put the will pays, what the potential payouts are uh, for the fourth race is what they do after the first uh, three legs are done. So they'll tell you exactly, how, you know, if how much can be won based upon the horses that are left and the number of tickets, so the paramutual. The highest payout was like $1,200 because there was only like $3,000 in the money pool. Now, you compare that to like the Kentucky Derby where you literally have millions and millions and millions of dollars in the pool. So I like to make sure that when I'm doing exotic bets, I'm like exact uh, trifectas, superfectas, pick threes, pick fours, if you're going to you know, try to get crazy and hit a pick six. I want to make sure the pool's big because if I hit, I want to get paid. If I'm betting at a smaller track, you know, um, Thistle Downs, you know, some of the you know, Delaware Park, Fairway Park, some of the smaller tracks, you know, you're online late at night, you're looking for some action. You know, you see a horse or, you know, a race is running over at Delta Downs. Then I'm going to focus more on like exactas, win bets, or a majority of the action is going to be. And then I'm going to get more, uh, I'm going to get truer payouts if I hit. So to kind of answer your question, if I'm going to bet exotics, big tracks. If I'm going to just dare to wager for the sake of wagering and, you know, a little bit of entertainment in the evening, then I'm going to focus on exactas, maybe trifectas, but I'm not going to put a lot of money in play on those trifectas, maybe four to six bucks per track, I mean, per race. And then, you know, look for a, a decent price horse to come in. So I still can get a, you know, a, a good payout if I hit. Oh, very good. Very cool. So we keep going back to the sports betting and I love the sports betting mindset. I, you know, one of the things I, you know, I think is uh, usually profitable is kind of fading the public and in some instances fading the money. Should I track movement on the board and maybe fade the public that way? Assuming that, you know, one horse's odds get tremendously worse. Should I, should I start looking at the other horses or well, how would you play that? Well, I do think that just the numbers themselves tell you that the favorite only wins, the post-time favorite, so only wins at uh, 30%, roughly. And that means, again, that two out of three times, if you bet the favorite, you're going to lose. 
Uh, and it's also been shown to be an unprofitable way to bet that you're going to end up uh, probably getting something like 90% return on your money. So over time, you're going to run out of money that way. And there's also something I term uh, favorites bias. You got a lot of folks at the track at different um, levels of experience, some there for the first time, some that bet based upon the horse's color. And then you get the people who chase the odds, right? Everybody else is wrong. Everybody else is right. I'm wrong. And as a such, and this has probably happened to you and everybody who's ever listened, everybody who's listening, who's ever bet on a, on a horse, you've gone to the window, you've had a number in mind, you looked at the odds, you changed your mind at the window to the favorite only to watch the horse that you thought was going to win, win. So I advise people that for me, I find I do my best handicapping when I don't look at the odds at all. And then I just go through and pick the horse that I think is the best horse. And I don't care what the odds are, I'll play that horse. So just from a mathematical standpoint, yeah, fade the favorite because two out of three times he's going to lose anyway. Um, and then, again, you have the, the public. Most of the money is going to chase that favorite. And just from a better's mindset, you're trying to – you're betting against everybody else, not against the house. So you want to beat them. And in order to beat them, you can't join them. Gotcha. I like that. I like that an awful lot. Okay, so let, let's shift gears just a little bit and uh, let's talk about your the, the site you work for, Guaranteed Tip Sheet. Um, huh? How best, I, I'm looking at it, and you guys give an overwhelming amount of information when I look at these. How best would somebody like me, who's just kind of really getting started, how, how would I utilize the information on, on, the, on the sheet? Should I just be looking at your best bets or should I be, you know, maybe following all the horses? How would you utilize it as a beginner? Well, as a beginner, I would definitely think about looking at the the best bets. But one of the things I would want to focus on is transparency, right? So if you look at most other horse racing services, you'll see a list of bets that they hit. Well, if you handicap 10 tracks a day with 10 races a day, you know, that's 100 races. In 100 races, you're bound to hit something. So they'll put all their positive stuff that they've hit uh, on site. What about their whole history? So we, we're transparent. Every, every suggested wager we've ever made, every horse we've picked is online. So that tells you a little bit about how confident we are in what we do. Best bets come in the money roughly 72% of the time, as it says on our website. So that's a good place to start if you're doing exactus, for example. You can pick maybe the two or three horses, because uh, we list four horses, right? We have our first place horse, our second place horse our third place horse, our wild card, and two alternatives. What we, we suggest people do is take our picks, use that to complement the research that you've done. If we have a best bet, maybe you, you do an exacta where you put them in first place, and then in second place, you put your next three favorite horses. They could be our next three or some combination of the above. And then flip it around so that you have the best bet in second place and some other horses to come in first in front of it. That's a pretty safe strategy, I think, in terms of identifying a possible exacta bets, where you get a little bit, or better, little bit better payout than you're going to get on most best bet horses. Uh, for me, what I like to do is I like to play exactas and trifectas off of our bets. I have found that, and if you look through them, that many times the winner is in our top four. So perhaps you can pick the two horses you like the most. One of the things I like to do personally is if the morning line, I, I like to look for overlays. And that's simply a horse that in the morning, let's say it's morning line odds are two to one, and now its odds are five to two or three to one, or sometimes they can go up to five or six to one. 
uh, or maybe even more. So I like to look for horses that are in our fix that become overlays. So the odds have gone higher. So betters have moved away from those horses and then include those horses in my Dutch winning bets or my exactors and my trifectas. They hit a lot. You're getting better payouts and it's a good way to still get a good horse, but at a better number. So I like to focus on, again, if I'm at a small track, I want to look at exactas, win bets, doubles, looking for horses that we have picked in our top four, where you start to see a little bit of an overlay. Betters are moving away from that horse for whatever reason. Another thing I like to, to, to look at, too, sometimes you'll see we have a horse that's 15 to 1 on top, and you're like, man, that looks like a great bet. 15 to 1, and then the betters bet them down to 2 to 1, 3 to 1, 5 to 2, you know, really low odds. More often than not, for whatever reason, those horses come home. And they do well. And, and, and a lot of times that's because the inside knowledge at the track knows this guy's ready to go. So, um, and I've spent a lot of time around my younger days at Arlington Park with trainers. And, you know, they do have a sense of when the horses are ready to put in a good race. I've had trainers that I've known where I've asked them, you know, should I be on your horse? And they tell me no. And, of course, that horse doesn't do well. And other times they'll tell you yes. They don't always do well when they tell you yes, but more often than not, you know, they put in a solid performance. So that's kind of what I'm looking for, overlays. And then horses that are had high odds that get bet down that lets you know that the, the, the smart money thinks they're in play. And then I'll combine those things together in a ticket. Um, if I really think from my homework that the favorite's going to come home, you know, then I'll include them in my ticket. And, you know, you can do that with our best bets. Very cool. I like it. So is there anything else that you can think of that we should be aware about horse racing? Or have we touched on everything, everything under the sun, Rich? Well, there's no way to touch on everything yeah. under the sun. But one, <laughs> one of the things that, uh, you know, I would encourage people to do when you look at the past performance numbers, there's a couple of tips I'll give you that okay. have worked yeah. out pretty well for me and have worked out well for us in our handicapping at Guaranteed Tip Sheets. And, and that's... Um, one of the things I like to do is look at fractions. So when you look at the past performance, it shows you how fast the horses have run. And understand just from a simple um, rule of thumb that five lengths roughly equals one second. You know, there's different schools of thought on that, but I use five lengths for one second. So what I like to do is look at the horses running, you know, let's say, a six furlong race. And you're looking at the past two, and as long as the race is higher, so in other words, if he ran a six-foot-long race and now he's running a mile race, I never go backwards. So if he ran a six-foot-long race and now he's running five and a half or something less than six, I'll never go down in distance, but it's okay to go up in distance. And I like to look at their fractions. So, for example, they'll show you in the opening quarter, the horse ran 22 and whatever, the lead horse, and then they'll show you where your horse is and how many lengths back he was. You can do the rule of thumb with you know, with five lengths equaling one second to kind of get a sense of how fast your horse ran. I like to see my horse improve their fractions. The horse has improved their fractions, I think, a lot more often than not. The next time out, that horse is going to fire because that's usually a good sign that they're getting into shape. Another thing that's worked amazingly well, and this was kind of pointed out by, a, you know, I'll give the credit where the credit's due, a few years ago by a user you know, I, I write a lot of the notes for uh, for guaranteed tip sheet in our stakes race analysis. And one of the things I see over and over again, and I, you know, and I make note of it, is that a horse is dropping in class, so he ran at a higher level. So let's say he ran at a you know allowance fifty thousand dollar race, and now 
the horse is running in a claiming race. So you're dropping in class, but back to one of your, your first question about speed numbers, and he ran the highest last race speed figure. For whatever reason, that combination hits a lot. So when I see those two things, I'm going to play on those horses. They don't have to be independently. I'll use either one. If I have a horse with faster fractions and dropping in class and had the highest best, uh, highest last race speed figure, I'm going to be on that horse for sure. Wow. Okay. I like it. That's some good info right there. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, Rich, I've wasted enough of your time. Holy cow. Yeah, it's went 30 minutes plus right now. Wow. You've given us so much good information. But before I let you go, I know you don't just handicap horses. You handicap football too. Give us your thoughts, man. Super Bowl. We're all, we're all dying to know here. Super Bowl. Well, to me, I'm looking at the, I would say if I, if I were going to play futures, uh, I think the Vikings probably give you the, 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 the best future odds. I think, what are they, like 14-1 uh, to 1 or something like that? It's ridiculous, yeah. And, and, and so I, I like the Vikings on the futures bet, although they're going to have a rough time of it out in San Francisco. But I think, you know, in order to win the Super Bowl, you have to be able to win um, in any phase of the game. So I think they can win on offense, they can win on defense, and they can beat you on special teams. Obviously, the 49ers can, can do the same. So the 49ers have been a little weak against the run as, as of late. And, you know, that's clearly where Mike Zimmer wants to take the, the Vikings. I do think the winner of that game is probably going to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. Outside chance, it's Green Bay. Over on the AFC side, I think you got one of two teams. You either have the Chiefs or you have the Ravens. I think that the I give the edge to the Chiefs, not because you're a Chiefs fan. Yeah, there but, you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, but because I think that uh, in order to beat Baltimore, you have to be able to outscore them. And, you, and I do think that uh, you know Patrick Mahomes and the guys from Kansas City have shown the two times they faced uh, Baltimore with Lamar that they can get the better of them on the scoreboard. So I'd say that the Super Bowl is going to be probably 49ers versus the Chiefs. I'll give the Chiefs the edge in the final game, getting Andy Reid's first Super Bowl win. There you go. You heard it right from Rich. There it is. We can lock it up. We're, we're, I'm already ready to go to the parade, Rich. We can. I'm, I'm going to do it. So take Baltimore and Green Bay and you'll be home free. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Damn it. All right, Rich. Thanks, man, so much. I appreciate it. Fantastic. Thanks for having me. And, you know, uh, check in with us for the big races and we'll give you our thoughts on what we think are going to happen. Oh, for sure. Information on this podcast may not be construed to offer any kind of investment advice or recommendations. Under no circumstances will the owner-operators of this podcast be held responsible for damages related to its contents. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? 
My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.